we're going to start with Revelation chapter 21, which is on page 1252 in the Bibles that you received when you walked in. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel like a jasper clear as crystal it had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel there were three gates on the east three on the north three on the south and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide as and as high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, 
and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And continuing on in chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who bears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from the scroll of this prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Alex, thanks, Shani. You had my welcome. I'm John, and congrats again to Arden Taran. And thought Avery was a star. I thought you were going to run away with her, mate. She's pretty cuddly, isn't she? Yeah, so uh, 
and uh, welcome along as well, everyone. So um, here we are, getting to the end of another year, and we're at the end of the Bible, the last two chapters uh, in the Bible, uh, the last things that God has to say, the last word. Last words are often important words, often important words. You try to summarise, you know, the key things you've been trying to say uh, in the lead up, uh, and that's exactly what's going on here. Uh, so why don't I pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into things. Heavenly Father, thanks uh, that you've got the Bible and with the Bible uh, everything we need to know you well, uh, to know ourselves well and to know your plans and purposes of love and grace uh, for this world, for us, for our lives, for our families. Uh, so please uh, help, help us to see some of those uh, true things uh, for ourselves, uh, for the world uh, that we live in, because uh, we reckon that'll be good, good for us, good for the world uh, and certainly uh, glorious to you, Lord. Amen. Now I've um, had the privilege of watching... Duard and Taran sort of settle into life in Australia, come out from uh, um, South Africa. Whereabouts was it from, you guys? Durban. Durban, yeah, good. Great little coastal city over there. So, uh, and it's been uh, amusing watching them become parents for the first time as well, brought back a lot of memories. So, uh, um, was a couple of weeks ago, Taran was sharing her frustration, you know, saying, like, I don't understand why she cries. I do everything for her. Why should I clean her? I just, why is she crying? You know, uh, that's just what babies do, guys. So uh, um, they need a reason. But it just brought, yeah, brings back a lot of memories uh, for myself and I'm sure for a lot of us. Um, but it's, it's a pretty big moment in your life, I reckon, when you become a parent for the first time. Because suddenly you've got this, this little bundle of joy and they look at you and you've just got to do everything for them, don't you? I mean, they're utterly dependent on you. I mean, you're used to sort of being able to have a bit of choice in life, doing what you want, when you want, but suddenly... You know, you've got to feed them when they want to be fed. You change your nappy when they want their nappy changed and, you know, put them to bed. It changes your social life up big time, um, you know, and they just completely demand your love, your attention, your care. Um, now, of course, we're here this morning. Uh, you guys are here because you want to give Avery um, the best things in, in life. You love her and uh, you really think that um, giving her, I guess, that relationship with Jesus, praying to, for God to do that. Uh, really is uh, the best thing, uh, the greatest thing we can actually do uh, for those that God entrusts into our care. Uh, and it's sort of timely we're at uh, these two passages because they help us understand some of the reasons, really some of the goodness, I guess, as to, you know, why on earth do these things, why make these choices, uh, why pray those sort of prayers uh, to God. Uh, now, I don't know how you would go about capturing um, just your idyllic future, um, whether you'd use words or pictures or music to somehow to communicate, to share just what your idyllic, uh, you know, future is. Uh, but that's what God is trying to do here. He's trying to capture and share with us just how perfect, how brilliant being part of God's future is going to be when Jesus returns. Jesus, of course, has come once. Uh, and when he came the first time, it was pretty clear Hey, look, I'm going away, but I, I am coming back again. So how can God show us just how good life can be now, knowing what we need to know about the future? These last two chapters in the Bible, as we've been saying, um, like all of the book of Revelation, it's, it's like walking around in a cosmic art gallery, like God's art gallery. You walk into new rooms, and in and, and each art gallery, you see these sort of amazing word pictures uh, where God is, is sort of capturing all the great promises 
uh, he's ever made in history. They're in the Bible uh, and showing us how Jesus and his death and his resurrection has fulfilled those promises and what they mean for our world now and what it's going to mean for the future. Uh, for those who are into music, I'm thinking like this is the this is the ultimate God's ultimate compilation album here in the Book of Revelation, uh, and these last couple of chapters is almost like the greatest hits on that album. You can imagine, uh, for example, we heard at the beginning of chapter 21 uh, talks about when Jesus returns. There's a new heavens, a new earth. The first heaven, the first earth, uh, is going to pass away. Uh, things are going to be different when Jesus comes back. Um, every, everything that taints at life, everything that tears at life, that, that, that just, just makes life frustrating in this world, uh, the things that we fear, none of that is going to be part of this new heavens and earth, this, this new universe. Uh, and I don't know what you heard as you heard those two chapters read out, but I think there's a couple of dominant pictures that stand out and one uh, was of a city called a new jerusalem a city uh, a symbolic uh, perfect city uh, where last week you know we talked about there's no d words uh, no death no disease no depression there's no need for doctors for dentists i went on friday i'm so thankful there's going to be no need for dentists but no crying no pain no suffering you know, no need for euthanasia debates all these things are not going to be part of this of this new city uh, the second picture we'll talk about is uh, one really which runs right through the whole Bible from the first page to the last, which is a, which it's going to be like an ultimate homecoming, uh, like the best homecoming, but even better that you've ever had. Uh, so that first point, uh, there's no better city. There's no better city that we should want to live in and be a part of. As, I heard, as we heard that um, second last chapter in the Bible, it's all taken up talking about this new Jerusalem, how good it's going to be. Why is that? Well, there's a few different ways you can summarise, quite simply, the message of the Bible, uh, or uh, to summarise the history of humanity. One of the ways the Bible does it is it uses uh, the idea of two cities, two cities. Uh, and one of the cities, in fact, the first city uh, that we're told about in the Bible is called Babylon. Babylon. Now, um, in this last book in Revelation chapters 20, uh, 17 and 18, uh, we're told a bit about um, this city called Babylon. She's been labelled uh, by heaven as Babylon the Great or the Proud, uh, the mother of prostitutes, the, the mother of all abominations on the earth, which just means that um, here is the genesis, here's the, the mother, the father behind all evil, Anything that's not right in this world, um, Babylon is the one behind it. Why? Why all these names? Because Babylon represents, if you like, all the, uh, the seductive inducements, uh, the lies and the deceptions of, of people uh, and, and of powers uh, that we keep bumping up against who are opposed to God and opposed to God's purposes for his people. And so, for example, way back in chapter 10 of Genesis, you meet a guy called Nimrod. And we're told that he's the guy who builds a city called Babylon. And you think, well, what's that about? Well, the very next chapter, in chapter 11, um, we're told uh, that you've got people coming everywhere uh, to build uh, a massively big tower. Um, and the idea is, is that they're trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to, if you like, build God out of this world, uh, build, build God out of their lives. Uh, they're trying to reach up 
and take what belongs to God, to usurp God's authority and, uh, in, and, and, and literally to be little gods in his world. Uh, now, God sort of frowns at that and um, uh, they stop building their towers because he disrupts their languages and they can't talk to each other and so off they go. But this idea of Babylon, it's there right at the beginning to, to try to, to capture um, that the people of, of, of cities like Babylon are really just people who are really quite happy to live life without a thought to God, uh, that, that they, they don't want God in their lives, happy to enjoy all the good gifts that God gives, uh, but happy not to do that, to, happy to do that without God. So Babylon, if you like it, it represents a humanity outside of the Garden of Eden, uh, a humanity that is trying to continue quite vainly uh, to rebel against their maker, um, that in the spirit of Adam and Eve uh, do in Genesis 3, uh, refusing to listen to God's good and excellent word. And now, so it begs the question, that's the sort of history of, of Babylon in the Bible. Um, and in fact, if you want to read a book um, that really captures that, that, that pride and that arrogance and stuff, a book like Daniel is pretty helpful. The Babylonians, um, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, all his boasting. Um, not only do you see this city, this people who are just arrogant um, toward God, in fact, everyone else, but just how hard that makes for God's people uh, to live in a Babylon world, which, of course, is partly why we've got the Bible, uh, to encourage us and spur those of us on who think living with God at the centre um, is, is the way to go. But it begs the question, who or what is Babylon today? I was thinking about this and I thought I'd ask another question and timely again that we've got you guys here. Um, so do you have a favourite city in the world? Maybe you've travelled there, you think you'd love to go back there. Um, you know, I know uh, for a couple of women in their room, it's Paris probably. Um, uh, Jamie said he wouldn't mind going back to New York. Um, uh, for Duard and Taran, it's, it's, it's this city. Here we've got a picture I think, is that right? Anyone know what that's, where that is, that city? Cape Town, that's right. That's quite a beautiful looking city, isn't it? Um, and I actually, um, back in the early 90s, got to go there for six weeks um, to do a medical elective, uh, work in the emergency department at Goodeskill Hospital. And it's a stunning city to fly into. I mean, it's, it's just beautiful. Um, now, my plan uh, when I arrived, because my mate was coming a couple of days later, was to sort of find my way to a, you know, to a youth hostel or backpackers or something and wait for him. And um, anyway, I got talking to a, an Afrikaans bloke. He was a soldier. He was coming back home. We were chatting and I told him my plan and he looked at me like this and he said, you can't do that. He said, you've got to come and stay with me. And I thought, oh, okay. So I did for, for the couple of nights, slept on his floor. And, um, uh, but after I'd been there, I, I guess a, a week or two, uh, I started to understand his concern uh, and why my parents were a tad concerned that I was going to South Africa and wanted me to ring home regularly. Uh, because at that time, South Africa was the most dangerous city in the planet, had the highest rate of crime, of murder. Um, and I know when I worked in A&E, I mean, we were regularly stitching up people, in fact, helped uh, save a guy, you know, who got shot through the heart uh, for a dollar, for a dollar. Um, and it was a time when life was so cheap, um, uh, you know, over there. And, um, and then, then we ended up staying with these people you know, in Cape Town and just everywhere, you know, the high walls, the razor wire, the shattered glass cemented in on the top of the walls, the alarms, the dogs. Um, 
that it was, it was a pretty, um, pretty, pretty dangerous place, you know, to, to live. But, and of course, it's part of the reason why, you know, you guys and many others have, you know, thought, maybe let's set up a life somewhere else, you know, where maybe it's a bit safer um, and there aren't so many threats sort of everywhere. But I want to ask you that, you know, whichever beautiful city you travel to in the world, you don't have to be there for too long to scratch beneath the surface, uh, to realise that these threats are everywhere, aren't they? Um, that it can be scary wherever you, you land uh, and walk around. And my New Testament lecturer at college went for a holiday in New York. He got held up by a knife point. Um, he never recovered from that. Never recovered. Um, and the suggestion is that uh, Babylon is everywhere, uh, that um, the, the cities of our world, our lives, is, is you know, held together a bit like a... a, a a stack of cards, a house of cards. Uh, you just need, uh, you know, a crisis, whether it's a GFC or a natural disaster, to sort of come along. Uh, and suddenly people, you know, to try to protect themselves and save themselves, uh, start doing the most horrible things to one another. Every four years, the Olympic Committee, they put their, their name, their name, their seal, you know, the Olympics in, you know, 2020 will be here. Uh, and suddenly, you know, there's a scramble, there's billions of dollars are spent to beautify the city because the whole world, you know, is going to be looking at this city for a couple of weeks. Um, but then as much money, again, is spent on what? Security, isn't it? To keep people safe. Over a billion dollars spent, I think, in Rio uh, trying to keep people safe. Um, and, of course, uh, we heard about some of the, the sad things that happened during the Olympics uh, there. But it doesn't matter what city it's in, Sydney, Athens, Beijing, London, Rio. Um, again, those five rings, in, in a sense, they, they represent and, and just remind us again that we, we live in a, a Babylonian sort of world, don't we? Um, now, for those of us who have been parents, I'll just give you some heads up, guys, okay? Because we, we sort of want to be helpful, helpful to you guys. Is I'll just tell you that there's some things you won't have to teach Avery. Okay, so you won't have to teach her a little word, no. Okay, Avery, can you please come here? No. You know, Avery, can you please clean your room? No. You know, in fact, you, you, you'll ask her to do something and then amazingly she'll go away and do the exact opposite of what you'll ask her to do. And hypothetically speaking, because I'm sure she'll be a perfect daughter growing up, but um, it, it, it's true, isn't it? You know, why don't we have to teach our kids? you know, the, these sort of things. is because, again, Avery, like the rest of us, was born outside the garden. It was born in a Babylonian world, born um, with that independent streak, that independent spirit. Uh, that just, the natural reflex is to sort of try to do life, you know, my way, try to do life without God. And that's really what this, this first city, this, this Babylon, is trying to, to capture and help us to understand. This is the world. Uh, that Jesus stepped into. And it brings us to talk about the other city in the Bible, Jerusalem. Uh, and what stands Jerusalem apart from every other city is not so much the people there. They're made of the same stuff. But, of course, just like the Olympic Committee, you know, puts its name, you know, on an Olympic city, uh, very early on, God put his name in Jerusalem, didn't he? He said, that is where people can come to know me. 
uh, and it's symbolised by the temple. Uh, and in the middle of the temple is a, is a place called the Holy of Holies, where a high priest could only go once a year. And in the centre of that was an altar, a place of sacrifice, of atonement, um, uh, where um, uh, the sin of God's Old Testament people was atoned for. And of course, there in the Holy of Holies was what? The Ark of the Covenant, the Word of the Lord. You see, the name of the Lord. That's what sets Jerusalem apart in the Old Testament from every other city. Uh, the temple, uh, the heart of Jerusalem, it was God's designated meeting place with humanity. It's where Jew or Gentile, any human being, could come and pray to God uh, to actually find reconciliation with God, uh, to find peace with God and fellowship with God and his people. And so Jerusalem in the Old Testament is described like it's meant to be. It was meant to be like a beacon, a light on a hill, all the nations streaming to city. The other name is, is Zion. Uh, and, and you think, you get to the New Testament and along comes Jesus. Jesus, the fulfilment of every promise and pattern in the Old Testament. And what does he say? John chapter 2. I'm the new temple. I'm the new temple. I'm the place of atonement for your sin. I am the place of forgiveness and reconciliation between people and God. Because this is where God's put his name. I am his son, you see. I am the new Jerusalem. I'm the new meeting place between people and God. Anyone who has a relationship with me is, is forgiven and is in right relationship with my father. A bit later in John, he says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Nothing to do with going to a place or a building. No, 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 through me. Why? Because all the promises and patterns of the Old Testament are realised fully in me. And so Jesus really is in his, his cross, that place of mercy where he atones for our sin. He, he's, he's a brand new paradigm, if you like, for hu humanity. So no longer come to a place, but come to a person. It's not about rituals or rules. No, no. It's about coming and being redeemed by Jesus and enjoying forever being in right relationship with God through Jesus. Now, hopefully that's some helpful background that helps us to understand why a whole chapter is dominated by this idea of a new Jerusalem coming down with Jesus from heaven. It's to symbolise and capture all the promises and pattern that are tied up with the Jerusalem in the Old Testament and Jesus, the new Jerusalem, the temple in the new. So look with me as we just, we're going to just quickly skim over a couple of things uh, in this chapter. So chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven. Oh, sorry, I should say we're on verses 9 and 10, might be behind us as well. Uh, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, and he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And it shone with the glory of God. So, coming down out of heaven from God. There's something very different about this city. Uh, it's a symbolic spiritual vision to capture, if you like, the, the, the perfect union and community with God and with his people that we're going to enjoy. The, the very glory of God, the essence, the weight of God is going to be shining uh, forth from this city. 
the other s- sort of word picture here is that between like a, uh, you know, a bride prepared uh, for a husband. And on view here is that, that sort of, uh, that love um, of uh, that, that first union of, of, of husband and wife, the joy, the intimacy, the, uh, the bond of promise. Everywhere we look in this city, uh, what do we hear? We're, gonna, we're just going to see purity uh, and, and perfection everywhere. Uh, its beauty was, was represented there uh, with, with precious stones and streets lined with, with gold. And uh, you've got uh, the, these walls and, and you've got the names of the 12 tribes of Israel and the names of the, the 12 um, apostles written on the 12 gates. And, and we know already from, from the book of Revelation that the number 12 equals the full quota of the people of God, you see. So this new heavens and earth, it's going to be full. Everyone who's meant to be there will be there, the full quota of God's people. You know, flashing over the signs, the gates are going to be signs full, 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 okay? Uh, the measurement of the city, we're told, is 12,000 stadia, which is which is really big. It's like almost 4,000 kilometres in every direction. Um, but of course, it's the same. It makes a cube the same shape of the Holy of Holies in the middle of the temple in Jerusalem. You see, it's symbolic. Um, and and it's, it's trying to symbolize that the whole city, the whole city, if you like, has become the Holy of Holies, the, the meeting place between God and his people. Being a part of this city, you're going to enjoy forever perfect access with God, uh, perfect life and love and community with God and with each other. Uh, later we're told... John sees no temple, no temple, Uh, again, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple, verse 22. Uh, Twice we're told in the end of chapter 21, at the start of chapter 22, that there's no sun or moon, uh, for the city of God will be powered, you know, uh, not by Etza, not by a power station down there, uh, not reliant on, you know, power coming from interstate, no, no, it's going to be powered by the very glory and light of God himself and, and the Lamb. And again, this throne, all through Revelation, we keep being told that the center of reality is God's throne and God is on his throne in the Lamb. 53 times the idea of a throne comes up in the New Testament. 38 times in Revelation. The book is all about God is on his throne, he's in charge, he's in control. The message of this book the lamb has won and if you uh, put your lot in with him you're a winner you will win you're going to be part of this future uh, and again the idea of light in the bible uh, it's to represent god's truth uh, that the the whole city is going to be um, sh- powered by the light of god all the street lamps you know of the lamb of christ it's symbolic on view here is, is we're going to it's a people forever walking in the truth the truth of god's word for our lives and you think about that well that sort of makes sense doesn't it we we've lived long enough to know that the heart of any healthy relationship the foundation is truth isn't it truth speaking speaking the truth in love uh, that uh, that you need truth for there to be trust and you need trust for there to be intimacy that's what's so good about life and about relationships and so i don't know about you but can you picture it? i mean i can't um the apostle 
Paul said he couldn't. This is what he says in one of his letters. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And let's face it, it is so hard to imagine this, isn't it? So hard. But it brings us to the second uh, dominant picture that I just want to zero in on for a few minutes. Uh, It's that of that there is no better homecoming. When Jesus returns, there's just going to be no better homecoming for us to look forward to. Again, have a look with me at the start of chapter 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. From the very beginning, from in the Garden of Eden, this is all that God has wanted. Uh, God's people in God's place, enjoying, reveling uh, in the goodness of a right relationship with God, loving and listening to his word uh, and just, just the communion there. And that's the future that's coming. Uh, there are five words that capture it there in verse 4 of chapter 22. Have a look with me. They will see his face. They will see his face. You see, from the first page to the last, this is what the Bible's been on about. It's what God wants. He wants us there. Uh, we will enjoy God face to face. God's made people to know him and to be known by him. He's made you and your, your loved ones to, to love him and be loved by him. Uh, and again, can you imagine a world where uh, there's just this unhindered relating? Uh, of course, now uh, the risen Jesus is with God in heaven. Now we live by faith, by trusting in God's word. We live by faith, not by sight. Now we live... Uh, separated from Jesus and for some of us we live uh, separated from people we love and care about Uh, we are longing and looking forward to that day when we'll be with them again but Jesus says a day is coming a day is coming when we'll see his face no phone calls no Skype no snapchat no sort of whatsapp no 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 superficial Facebooking relationships. I mean, there's, this is face to face. And we, we know deep down there's no better way to do relationships, don't we? We know this is true. Um, is there anything better than coming home, than being reunited with the people we love? Especially if there has been a, ser- a period of separation through travel or worse, uh, through disagreement or conflict. Uh, Saru Brearley got a, uh, a picture here uh, he was born in an Indian town called Kandwa I think that's how you say it I've got some people here who will correct me afterwards I know um, he and his older brother they used to go down to the train station uh, to sweep to earn pocket money now one day when Sue was five uh, his tidy fell asleep on the train bench woke up older brother was gone so he's looking for him and he he hopped on a train uh, to look for him and the train left the station um, he got off the train 3,000 kilometres later at Calcutta, third largest city in India, four, India, four and a half million people. Five-year-old boy is crying, lost, alone. He's very scared. And for three weeks, he wandered the streets of Calcutta. Um, he'd go down to the Ganges to wash. He nearly drowned a couple of times. He nearly got abducted a couple of times. Um, and now let's be honest. Um, if you're a parent... I mean, 
this, this is what scares you. You, you know, to, to be sort of separated from, your, uh, from one or more of your kids like this. He found refuge in an orphanage in Calcutta. And after a number of months, an Australian family adopted him, took him to live with them in Tasmania, of all places, a great place, sorry. Love Tasmanians, okay, great place. But the point, that's a long way away from India, isn't it? That's a long way away. Uh, and he spent uh, a very happy childhood. He grew up, they loved him. Um, uh, but he could just never get this restlessness, this deep yearning, this, these memories that he had as a five-year-old. Um, just wanted to sort of search and try to get back home. Um, and so at the age of 19, he discovered this thing called Google Earth. And for the next six years, he used Google Earth to trace every train line out of Calcutta through India. Until finally, when he was 25, some images popped up. He thought, hang on, that looks familiar. And to the point where he set off a journey back to Kandua, 25, uh, he walks into the town, meets a local who grew up there, and he says, look, there wouldn't happen to be um, some people here who, um, who lost lost a little boy 20 years ago. And he says, actually, just wait here. And he goes off, comes back five minutes later and says, come with me. I'll take you to meet your mother. And he said it was the most surreal moment, quite naturally. Uh, the words he just never thought he would ever hear. hear. I'll, you know, come with me. I'll take you to meet your mother. Um, I don't need to explain, the, I guess, the joy that, that he felt with his mother. Uh, and again, if you're a parent here, um, y- you know the sort of emotions that would have just been um, bubbling and boiling over here. Uh, seeing her, her son, uh, who th- she thought she'd lost forever. And when she saw him uh, and she was asked later, what was it like seeing your son again? She said, heaven on earth heaven on earth and of course what she, she's just saying what we all know and what this is saying right here it's about being with God your maker being with the people you love face to face now if you want to read the book it's called a long way home if you want to see the movie I think it goes by the same name but this is why these two chapters are here to remind us where our true home is Uh, The Bible is God's Google Earth for us to use to find our way home to where we are from and where we belong, Uh, to your Father in heaven, to your Maker. Jesus is is God's truth, God's provision of grace, all that we need so we can come home. Uh, Jesus himself summed up his mission saying this, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Of course, the first thing you need to know, you need to sort of, realize if you're going to come home is you think okay right so i'm lost Uh, i'm lost right i need to actually come to jesus to be found how do you come home to god it's pretty easy uh you take him at his word you come to him and you tell him hey jesus i want to come home (laughs) it's really that easy Uh, and so the takeaway for us today is really simple at the back end of that chapter 22 we heard it read out jesus says it three times I'm coming back soon. Behold, I'm coming again soon. Surely I'm coming soon. 
And so I think the point, the takeaway, is just to make sure that you're ready for when he does come back, that we are ready, uh, that we're alert, we're awake, we, we are waiting. Uh, in our house of cards, cities, streets and our homes, uh, we know how frail uh, we are, our relationships are, and we never know when our best used before date is going to expire. We just don't know. So make sure you're ready when I come back, says Jesus. I've come once, I'm coming again. Uh, this one is for the teenagers. I'm sure none of, none of, none of us will uh, identify with this, this, but as only a 20-year-old can do, um, my 20-year-old son was sharing with me uh, recently just how fine, he, he's very, he's, he's finely tuned his wake-up routine. Um, and so he says, no, I, I never get up when my alarm goes off. I, have a, I only get up ever after the third snooze alarm, you know, goes off. So four alarms. Um, and he still manages to sleep through that. I've lost count the number of times that I've had to stick my head in his room. Uh, didn't you say he had to be up? Uh, for this and I've, I have suggested he might need to tweak his approach okay to sort of be alert and ready when he needs to be to be awake uh, because you know missing a lecture that's one thing um, having someone arrive at your house in the morning who you've said be here at this time and you're still in bed asleep I mean that's embarrassing we laugh um, but friends not being ready for when Jesus turns up uh, being uh, you know snoozing away um, I mean, that's, that's going to be a tragedy of cosmic and eternal proportions. Not to be there, not to be ready. Friends, and this is why these three snooze alarms are here at the end of the Bible. Uh, history teaches us that our track re record, being ready for when God turns up, we keep getting caught out. I mean, just think with me. Um, how many of the Christmas characters were caught out? There was a surprise. You've got... You've got Herod. He's alarmed and panics. He orders a genocide. Um, uh, I mean, the Jewish religious leaders, they knew their Bibles backwards, but they weren't ready. Uh, a guy called Nicodemus comes to Jesus, one of the most learned men of his day. What does Jesus say to him after he's talked with him for a while? Mate, aren't you the teacher of Israel and you, you don't understand these things? Now, what about Jesus' cross, his suffering, his resurrections? Uh, three years he'd been quoting and teaching his followers, telling him exactly what to expect. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, must be killed and on the third day be raised again. How ready were his followers? In the garden, Jesus is praying, they're asleep. Again, who was ready for the empty tomb? No one came to the tomb that morning, that sunrise, expecting it to be empty today. You see? The women come, they're stunned, they're surprised. They run back, the disciples are stunned, they're surprised. They didn't get it. Two disciples on the, on the road to Emmaus and Jesus rebukes them. He says, guys, guys, what are you doing? And he explains to them how, how the Christ would come and fulfill the scriptures. And so how kind is God here? Not just to give us the Bible, but to give us uh, this heads up uh, for the last time in these last chapters. How good is it? that we're all here this morning, you've been invited here, hey, come along, to actually hear Jesus give you uh, the heads up about what's going to happen when he comes back. And so the question is pretty simple, will we be found awake and alert and ready for when Jesus returns? The three concluding exhortations are plain, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon. Uh, and so in light of that, just make sure of a couple of really crucial things. Whatever you do, do not seal up these words. 
Whatever you do, don't put this book on the shelf to gather dust. Whatever you do, um, wherever you go, make sure you have this word with you. I mean, uh, how foolish to do that. Uh, whatever you do, don't reject or disobey it, verse 7. Whatever you do, don't hide it, verse 10. Uh, whatever you do, don't meddle with it, don't change it. Verses 18 to 20. And Jesus' motive for us, because I'm coming back soon. I've come once, I'm coming back again soon. You really, really can trust that these words are reliable and true for your life. You can build your life on these words because I'm reliable and trustworthy and true and I've shown that in how I've lived my life, in my death for you and my resurrection three days later. There's a beautiful name I want to leave you with in chapter 22 where Jesus calls himself the bright morning star. The bright morning star. It's a beautiful image. Just imagine, it's going to be like, but so much better, the women arriving you know, at the tomb, those first rays of sunlight on that first resurrection morning. Their grief, despair and fears, their shock turned to unimaginable joy as they realised it was Jesus there in person that they were talking with. Uh, the sun, the rising sun on Jesus' face, they saw his face. Can you imagine just Jesus, the bright morning sun, seeing his face. Imagine being there. And so what Jesus has been saying to us is very simple. I'm coming back soon. Make sure you're ready. You, you really won't want to miss out on this future because it's going to be so, so, so much better than you can imagine. So make sure you're ready. Make sure you're there. And look, just one last time, says Jesus, let me just throw out this invitation. The Spirit, that's God, and the Bride, that's the church, that's us. Say, come, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life, come. Let me pray. Loving Father, thank you so much for uh, these last words, these last chapters in the Bible. Uh, the climax um, just paints such a, a beautiful picture of what's going to, of the future that, uh, Lord Jesus, you're bringing with you uh, when you come. The new heavens, the new earth, uh, uh, just an amazing life uh, with God, with you. Father, please, uh, I guess, just capture our imaginations, our minds, our hearts. Uh, for any of us here this morning who have been stirred to think more deeply about you, um, help them, um, I guess, to, to explore the truth of Jesus for their life. Father, uh, for those of us who have already come, help us to keep coming. Uh, help us to keep persevering. Uh, help us to be a people who wait well for your return, uh, who live for this future. And Father, uh, live that we might be able to bring as many others with us to be part of this future. Father, uh, we just pray uh, that you would just help us to be the people you've saved us to be, for your glory and the good of those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.